to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. How's everyone doing? Yes, I was the guy that was in the screen. I just want to say that we won't be where we are today if it's not for the support of the church. Um, for giving us that space over the last three years to just be in a space where we can just worship and to pray and to allow the Lord to just move in our hearts. And um, um, like, like the video said, we are in a scene of transition. Uh, it's an exciting time. At the same time, it is also um, quite challenging at a, uh, simply because you know, Singapore is not the easiest place to do anything like that um, because we are not wired this way. In Singapore, we are all about, you know, measurements. We are all about making things. We need tangible measurements, KPIs. How much money do I sow into this? Can I get back and have the measure of impact? But I realize in the kingdom of God, the way we begin to see impact is not really based on what we can receive in, in the natural fruits because a lot of the things that we sow into in the eternal perspective does not necessarily be in a context of our world today. In fact, most of the reward that we long for is found on the other side of eternity. And this is an opportunity where God actually gives us a space to sow into something that is unseen, but it has great impact in the, in the realm of eternity, and God actually gave us this opportunity to sow a seed of faith. And I believe that the press and the worship that we give and sow into this nation, we may not see the immediate fruit today, but I believe that we will reap the fruit in years and decades later. My son is going to rip off the fruits of the press of the forefathers. In fact, we are the result of the faithfulness and the press of the forefathers because someone prayed, we have the gospel today. The Bible says that you pray to the Lord of harvest so that the gospel can, like laborers can be sent off to the fields. Do you think that the gospel can reach this place without the effort of prayer and warfare in the spirit? No. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but principalities and power. You know what? I am a firm believer that the unseen realm is actually more real than the sin. And if we were to give our investment to sow it into the things of the unseen, we will reap great rewards on the other side of eternity. We have to be a kingdom, heavenly-minded people. Our home is not here, friends. We are Singaporeans. I'm glad I'm a Singaporean and I get the perks of being a Singaporean, but the, there's a greater perks and there's a greater leverage and privilege that we have as a citizen of heaven and there's a rule and a law that we can abide and live in. It is the values of the kingdom and most of the time, it's not the way we perceive it to be. It's an upside-down kingdom. And I just feel like even as we are transitioning into this time, we are sowing into something that is really beyond just what we can see. But I believe that out from it will produce a measure of faith. It will produce the knowledge of God. It will produce a witness that will actually make an impact and a dent in our world that goes beyond our tangible means of money, wealth, or even souls. It will impact souls, but it's more than just souls. The greatest impact that we can ever make in, our, in this life is really to impact the heart of God. We can save as much souls that impacts the heart of God, but what is the greatest impact that a man can make in their life? It's an impact to the heart of God. 
the heavens and the earth, the stars were majestic, but they don't move the heart of God, that God will actually give man the privilege, the only creature and being in the entire world that can impact and move the heart of God according to the scriptures is you. What a privilege. And I know that at the end of the day, my definition of success does not lie in what the world says, but I know the final word of approval and appraisal comes from the man that I will stand before one day. I want to be found faithful and that he will call, he will say to me, well done. You know, I, I don't have any fancy message and I don't want to give, I mean, Andre has set the standard so high, it's a mess. And I, I just don't want to give, I am no, I'm no, I don't consider myself someone who is a prophetic voice. All I want to do is just to be a faithful witness and steward what God has given to us in the Bible. And I just want to stay true to it. And today I just want to speak on something that's more, that is, there has been something that we have carried over the past few years. And I pray that this will give you a perspective towards the days ahead. You know, I, I really feel like we are living in a time and a season where we are in the days where the prophets actually prophesy. We are living in the times of biblical prophecies. And I just want to say that, you know, there are things that the prophets talk about in the Bible. And I believe with all of my heart that we are actually living in a time frame that they are speaking of today. And I, and, I, and I know that biblical prophecies are more than just about, you know, oh, something for us to study so that we can get more theological knowledge. But biblical prophecies is actually God's invitation for us to participate in what He wants to do in our day and in our age. When God gave us a word, it's not so that we can feel good about it. He gave us a word because He's inviting us to play a part in the things that he wants to do on the earth. And I believe we are living in the days of biblical prophecies, you know, and, uh, and we also see signs of like things that's happening on the earth that Jesus prophesied and the prophets prophesied. You know, one of the things, the reason why we move into Kampong Bugis and to find a space to do night and day prayer, the purpose, of course, is to build a day and night prayer reality. But the second reason is really to raise up a people of understanding. It's for preparation. And when you think of, when you ask, Jason, prepare for what? Do you know that in the scriptures, everything points towards one day? And everything that we do, everything that we labor for, everything that we give ourselves to in building our faith, in cultivating the life of intimacy, in preaching the gospel, in seeing our soul safe, to see revival break into nation, everything that we do, it's all unto this one day that all of the prophets, all of the scriptures is pointing towards to. It's called the day of the Lord. And the Bible has lots and lots and lots of things to talk about, it's to say about the day of the Lord, but it's something that we don't like much about it because it is both great and it's also terrible. We love the great part of it because the Bible promised us in that day there's going to come forth a great revival that will bring in harvest. We talk a lot about revival, about the end time revival in fact around the world. But do you know that with a great revival that is also a company, a, a promise of an accompany of a great crisis that will hit the earth and the fact that God has given us a gift wrapped in mercy. This book is a gift from God wrapped in mercy to you that He will show you the end from the beginning so that you can respond to His word and prepare yourself for the one day. How many of you have been his, is a married you know, you, have, you are married today. You are married. How many of you are married? 
girls, why is the day that you look for in the, at the point where you receive the engagement ring? Oh, thanks. <laughs> what day is the day that you look for most when you receive the ring of engagement? It's the wedding day. Do you spend a lot of time, effort, resources, money to prepare for that day? Yes. We all do, girls. The wedding day is about you, man. The husband is just, okay, just take out your wallet and just... You want a Tiffany chair, okay. No use one, but it's just thick. For sure, nice only, thick. Swipe cut, swipe cut. Oh, you want 20, 30 tables? Uh. Oh, you want the... This gown, oh, yeah. we give a lot of time and effort to prepare for our wedding day. But do you know that the cross of Jesus was actually a seal? It's like an engagement ring that God has given to us that seal a promise to you for a day. And the day is called the day of the Lord. You know why it's called the day of the Lord? It is His day. It is the very day where God Himself will come back for a radiant bride, a church, that will, that will shine and radiate glory. You know, one of the best things about a wedding day is this, that the thing that moves my heart the most as a as as a as a engagement. A groom. Engagement, engagement. A groom was to be able to stand and see a bride that's fully ready and prepared walk down the aisle to give herself over to you and make that most dreadful, scary vow that all that I have, I give to you for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in to death do us part. And know this vow is really scary. We actually make a, have a tradition that we say this vow on a daily, on a, not daily basis, on a yearly basis. And every time we, every, the more time we spend together as husband and wife, the more severe the vow becomes. And we realize that the vow is getting harder to say to one another each year because there's so much stuff that we have to work out. But it is a vow of commitment. And you know what? This is the cross of Jesus, the Christmas that we celebrate. It is, it is God's engagement ring to tell you, you are mine. And I'm waiting to come back for you. And can you imagine the bride just, oh, I got this ring. It's so awesome. It's so great. Oh, Jesus, you love me. And you shed your blood. You pay such a high price to buy this ring. Yeah, diamond rings are expensive. <laughs> and you will pay the, any amount of price to get this ring on my finger. And Jesus did pay the highest price. And can you imagine the response of the bride? It's like, ah... Okay, la, don't come so soon. La. I still want to enjoy my singlehood. I still want to enjoy my life. But you know what? We are living in a time and a day where I believe that in the time frame of the scriptures, we might see the day of the Lord in our day and age. And I believe that we are living in a time frame. And the, ch the challenge for us today is this. Are we ready or prepared for it? Because it is both a great day. At the same time, it is a terrible day. I know my son is agreeing with me with his whole heart. You see, the Bible promised us prior to the return of Jesus, there will be a great outpouring that supersedes the days of Acts and the days of Moses. Do you know that it's going to be like that? You see, Red Sea parting is going to be normal next time, in the near future, just before he returns. 
And alongside the Great Revival, God also forewarned us about a global crisis that will hit the earth. They will fast supersede any evil that we have seen. If you think Hitler is bad, something greater is coming. It will be the darkest hour of all human history, but before you brand me as a doom and groom preacher, I just want to say that my worldview of end times is one of the most victorious and glorious because God would actually, my view of end times, it looks like that. God would actually dim the light of the world. He will make it so dark so that He can shine a spotlight on the bright that will radiate because the attention is on the glory of God nothing else. He will allow the stage to be so dim that he will put on a focus on the glory of God. The, the reason why God will allow gross darkness to cover the earth is so that he can actually show off his glory through his bride that will shine the greatest and the darkest hour of history. Jesus is coming back for a bride that looks just like him. Glorious and beautiful. And I believe that we are living in a science where spiritual contractions are happening. How many of you have been through contractions, Andre? Have you been through contractions? I, mean, I have not been through contractions, but I've witnessed contractions. And I believe Matthew 24, when Jesus talked about the birth pang, it's actually contractions. And it's talk about this. And, I, and as have, if you have seen and witnessed how a contraction works, is that the first 12, you know, when we first went into the hospital, it was so long. Nothing was happening. I was sitting there in the labor ward and just waiting for like hours. But then as we draw closer to the day when my son was, when the very moment when my son was about to come out, the contraction increased in frequencies and it intensified. So when Jesus said in Matthew 24 that about the, con- the, con- the birth pangs, the spiritual contraction on the earth before the day of the Lord, before his return, it's just going to get more intensified. We are living in a day and an age where we are looking at the world spinning in this, in this, spinning under this weight of transgression where things are going out of, you know, out of, out of order and things are just bursting out in like chaos and things are just happening. And I know with my heart that we can either just turn our eyes away and just say, ah, it's just one of those that's happened before or we can pay attention to the amount of frequencies and intensity that's happening in our day and age because these things that God gave to us serve as signs for us to pay attention to the signs of time that we're living in. You know, we know we all will not know the day of when He's going to come back, but He gave us signs so that we can prepare ourselves. You know, I just want to say that the good news is this. When these things are not bad because when God gives us signs, He's actually giving us also uh, a way to prepare ourselves for that, for that day. And I believe that God has given us instructions to how we can live in times like that. Do you know the Bible has given us instructions? In fact, Jesus himself gave us instructions. And today I want to present to you the very words and instructions of Jesus about the time of that generation who will see the the return of the Lord. And I believe that it's going to be beyond the next 50 to 100 years. I don't know. I know that it's going to be be around this time frame. I I do not know exactly when, but I can feel in my heart that we are living in that day. And my my encouragement to us is, is don't close our hearts to this. Don't close our hearts to things like eschatology or end times because without an end in mind, we do not know where we are going. And the Lord actually wants us to have a confidence of what the end looks like so that we can live intentionally towards the end. He's inviting us. I want you to turn your Bible with me to Luke chapter 18.
And I believe Luke chapter 18 is one of God's instructions for the generation who will see the return of the Lord. I want to speak as though that we are that generation because the apostles think that they were in that generation. In fact, we ought to live like that. We cannot live as though that He won't return in our lifetime. We just have to be, it's part of the gospel. We have to live with that intention of knowing that God can come back anytime. We just have to pay attention to it. So this is His instruction for us. And in Luke chapter 18, it's a parable of this, it's a parable of a persistent widow. I think most of you might have read this before, you know, you have skimmed through it before. But I just want to, before I jump into the text, I want to give a context. When Jesus was giving this parable, he was actually responding to the question that the Pharisee asked in Luke chapter 17, verse 20. And what is the question that the Pharisee was asking? And this is what he said in verse, Luke chapter 17, verse 20, being asked by the Pharisees, when is the kingdom of God coming? And you have to understand when the, Pharisees, when the Jewish people, when they talk about the coming of a kingdom, it's not a spiritual, ethereal, cloudy kind of kingdom. It is a literal government that will be established on the earth. And this is how the Jewish people view the kingdom of God. It's not just something spiritual. It is something that's natural that there's going to be a real king, a real man that will rule and will reign on the earth with perfect justice, with perfect righteousness, who will basically bring the people to a place where they will once again found in the presence of God, that they will be a priest unto God. There's going to be a person that will sit on a throne who will rule the earth, rule the nations with perfect justice and righteousness. There's not yet a king that has perfect justice and righteousness today. There's no political system that has that that right now. Even the most righteous and, and fanboy of, like, of some great politician that we, that we are very inclined towards, we, we, there's no one yet on the earth today that can actually, we can actually say that they are perfect systems. But there's, going to only, there's only one king that can do that. It's the Messiah. So when the Pharisee asked, he was asking about the covenant that God made with David. When is the son of David coming? When is the Messiah appearing? When is He going to come and establish and restore the kingdom of Israel? They were under a regime of Roman Empire. They were oppressed by an evil king and they were basically looking for deliverance and the Pharisee would ask Jesus, the great teacher, a question. When is the kingdom of God coming? And you have to understand when Jesus responded to the Pharisee, he was not just responding to the Pharisee, he was addressing to both the Pharisee and the disciples because both of them have two different mindsets. The Pharisee's mindset is that he, they try to deny Jesus' witness and testimony because he came with such power and people were saying, this is the Son of God, this is the Son of Man. And what they were trying to do is to put him on the spot and to say to Jesus and deny the very evidence of Jesus being the one who brought in the kingdom of God. And, they, and this is the reason why the Pharisee asked him the question. At the same time, the disciples were asking the question because they want to take the opportunity to get a... a, a a place in the kingdom of God because they are part of the Jesus tribe. And they were trying to say, you know what? The kingdom of God is here already. 
Jesus is the king. We are following him. We are his people. We are going to be his right hand and his left hand. And this is the context and the back. And Jesus was actually responding to two of this group of people. The Pharisees, they're just always denying the very existence of Jesus and looking to the future. And then he's also addressing to the very disciples who want to establish the kingdom now to be a part of that great and glorious opportunity where they can be the right hand and the left hand of Jesus. And Jesus actually responded to them in a way that he says, the kingdom of God is not coming in a way that you can that can be observed, that's to the Pharisee. Nor will they say, "Look, it's here, it's there. Behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst." And then Jesus said to his disciples, "The days are coming where you will desire to see." What he was trying to say is, is there's going to come a day that people are going to long and ache for that day. This day of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, "Look." There and look here, do not go and follow them. For as the lightning flashes light up the sky from one side, so will the Son of Man be in his days. But first, he must suffer many things, be rejected by this generation. You have to understand when it comes to the kingdom of God, God has appointed a day for that day to happen. And no one will know the hour, but Jesus, again, he, the way he responds is by giving people signs, setting a context to help people to, and drop hint to help people to see. And so Jesus dropped a hint of what kind of world it will be when that day comes. And he actually referenced to two very familiar passages to the Jewish people. One is the days of Noah. And second is the days of Lot. And what does those days look like? To be honest, the way Jesus explained it, it's very interesting. He just said they were eating, drinking, marrying, and be given in marriage. That was the days of Noah. And the way he described the days of Lord is they were eating, drinking, buying, selling, planting, and building. Seems very normal, huh? <laughs> and the way Jesus, the reason why Jesus described that it is, that why he's trying to say that it is going to come in a way that you are just doing life. And not only, but the thing is, there's a context and a twist to it. In those contexts of days of Noah and the days of Lot, there was actually a redemptive warning that was given to that generation. That there's a coming judgment, that God is going to respond to the wickedness on the earth. And then there has to be a response. But people were complacent. People were still doing life as usual. And they just let life go on. Eating, drinking, be merry, building, planting, and doing stuff. And Jesus was saying that, you know what? That day is going to come, but it's going to come in a place of suddenly and don't allow complacency to be the very thing that we get caught up. And Jesus was trying to paint a picture that that generation is going to look like, that, that generation, that the day where Jesus comes back is going to look like these two generations where people will be living in a place of complacency. That they will live in a place where their hearts were not responsive to the prophetic scriptures of a coming day and a coming judgment and a coming response of God. And then Jesus pulled out this very person and, and it's called Lot's wife. And Lot's wife made it to a picture and Lot's wife, if you know who Lot's wife is, Lot's wife was one of those that followed Lot out before Sodom and Gomorrah was being, uh, being destroyed and Lot's wife's turn and she became sought. And what he was trying to say at the point of time was this, that God, Jesus was saying to, 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 to the people there, is that Lot's wife, don't be like Lot's wife. They per that she will want to look back 
to all the things that, he, that she wanted in the, in the old life and, she, and because of that, she lost her way of deliverance. And whatever that Jesus was trying to paint a picture is that, hey, don't look at what you have on this side of eternity right now. There is something that is coming and He wants us to pay attention. And I believe that in this, con Jesus is painting a context of the generation that was going to come to receive the return of Jesus and He's getting us to pay attention to the context of the world that we live in. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your word. God, I pray that you will help me. Father, we pray that you will let your word come forth. Father, using the weakness of my frame. God, I just pray that you will help me as a messenger to speak your word clearly and boldly. God, I pray you remove every fear, every intimidation. God, I pray for courage. I pray for confidence. God, I pray that even in this room right now, will you begin to break in with revelation and light. Holy Spirit, we say we need you in this hour that we live in. God, I'm asking you to break in and unveil our hearts to know the times and season. Father, I pray that your glory will shine down on our hearts, will illuminate our hearts. Father, I'm asking for the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you, that you will unveil our eyes to know what you want to do in our lifetime. And I pray that there will be a response in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, just let me just recap a little bit. Parable of the persistent widow. The context of it stemmed from the question that was asked by the Pharisees and it was about a question of a coming kingdom and Jesus actually painted a picture of the world that, that it would be like. It would be like the days of Noah. It would be like the days of Lot. And in that context, Jesus actually gave a prescription and he actually gave an instruction of how we should live in the context of that day. And in Luke chapter 18, verse 1, This is what Jesus said. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected men. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but after that, he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect men, yet because this widow kept bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to the elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? You have to understand that after the question given by the Pharisees about coming kingdom and Jesus painted a picture of what the world will look like by dropping hint that it's going to look like the days of Noah and the days of Lord. And Jesus said, you know, this is going to be the context of the world that the Son of Man is going to come and this is my instruction to you. Pray always without losing heart. 
the prescription and the instructions of Jesus to the generation who will witness the return of the Lord in a great and terrible day where great evil will rise, where great revival will break out, is this, that he said, pray always and not lose heart. It, is, it will be one of the most intense, climatic hour of human history and things are going to happen Things that are uncomfortable will happen. At the same time, we will be witnessing the most glorious move of God in our day and our age. And God was trying to pay, to just give that instruction. In the midst of all these things that's happening, I want you to do this. Be like this persistent widow. Pray always and not lose heart. This is God's instructions and prescription of a Luke 18 womb. You have to understand Luke 18 is a way where God would framing for the, was framed for the church to help them understand in that day you are going to have many, many people in high places, kings and authorities who will not respect God nor men. They will live for themselves and they will take their abuse the power to live for themselves and they are going to create injustice just because they hold, they have power in their hands and knowing that fallen creatures and fallen people cannot control or use power effectively. And when these guys have power, it will only come to corruption and abuse. And Jesus was saying to the church in those days and saying to the disciples, you know what, in that context where there will be men and women, people in the high places, where people will love themselves more than God, who neither fear God nor love or respect men, as they begin to rule the earth, where the things on the earth is going to go chaos and spin wild. This is my instruction to you, church. Pray always and not lose heart. Even when injustice seems to be prevailing against us, even when injustice seems to be coming hard against the church, when justice seems to be on delay, the Bible says, and Jesus is telling the church, pray always, not lose heart. Even when you don't see answers happening right now, even when you see death is calling, is, is calling on you, when you see persecution and death are happening all around you, when you see churches being put on fire, when you see the world begin to spin in chaos, Jesus said, pray always and not lose heart. In the greatest darkness in the hours of history, the Lord said to the church, this is my instruction to you. The same way that He gave instruction to Noah to build an ark in that day. It's the same way that He says to us, pray always and not lose heart. Can you imagine with me? In the days of Noah. You have to understand those days, that's, the term rain doesn't make sense. In the days of Noah, there's, not, there's no water falling from the sky. Everything sprung from the ground because there's no concept of rain in those days. So when God came to Noah and says, Noah, I'm going to send rain and flood the earth and destroy all men. And that was the message that God gave to Noah. He says, Noah, I want you to tell the people that rain is coming. It's going to flood the earth. It's going to destroy the people. So right now, my instruction to you is to build an ark and get as many people into that boat as possible. And Noah is like, huh? Rain? Similae. Can you imagine? God came to Noah and said, it's going to rain. What is rain? Build an ark. What on earth is an ark? What's this for? In a dry land, build a boat? And that does not make any sense. And this was the instruction that God gave to Noah. And Noah did it anyway. He just built, as he built 
people having eating, drinking, and being merry. And he just said, Hey guys, rain is coming. And they look at him. What are you talking about? Rain is coming, it's gonna flood the earth. What are you talking about? What rain? And then you walk past Noah sometimes in his house. He says, Hey dude, what is this guy building? It looks like a goofy looking boat. I mean, they don't even know what a boat is. This goofy looking thing that he's building. What is this dude doing? Noah? Is this like cuckoo or something? Can you just imagine in those days when Noah was building the ark and he was announcing rain is coming, it's going to flood the earth and people were living in a place of like, dude, you are talking rubbish. I don't even understand what you are saying. And at a point, Noah remained faithful and you know what? In, in the eyes of the world, we will begin to look at Noah as a failure. He built an ark that's supposed to be for men and human beings. In the end, it was all animals. The only people that got saved is his entire family. If you talk about impact, he has no impact. Is Noah successful? Was Noah successful? Yes. Is it because of the impact that he made on the earth that day? No. He was successful not, not, not because of an impact, but because of the obedience in itself. He was successful simply because he obeyed the instructions of the Lord and that in itself was success. And God calls Noah, you are the most righteous man who lived. And likewise, when Jesus gave that instruction, pray always and not lose heart. In fact, be like the persistent widow. Cry out night and day, continually coming. If this widow can wear off an unrighteous judge, what more you, who is not a widow, you, a bride. And I'm not an unrighteous judge. I am a jealous bridegroom. I am the righteous one. If you were to call on to me day and night continually, do you think I'm not going to move at the sound of your voice? If, an un if a widow can move the heart of an unrighteous judge, what more church you as a bride, as you begin to come before the Lord in a place to pray always and not lose heart, do you think not your God will not respond to you and give speedy justice in the midst of gross darkness and injustice? Even though it may seem like justice, injustice is prevailing against you, can you not trust that this is the prescription and instructions of Jesus to pray always and not lose heart. You know, last year, August, when we were here, we decided to call for a 21-day fast. And it was the first time we did it as a community. And we have no clue what we were doing. All we did was, ah, let's just do a fast. We were frustrated because everyone is talking about, oh, yeah, we are Antioch, we are Antioch, we are Antioch. That's great. What does that even mean? And then we just say, okay, God, we don't just want to interpret it based on our own lands. It means that we shouldn't send missionaries out. I mean, yeah, it's true, but I don't think that's what you mean, right? And so in the end, we go into a time of extended time of fasting and prayer. We meet up for 21 days and we were deliberate in responding to the words that was given to us that God has given us a book in a nation, as a nation. It's the book of Daniel. And most of the time when we think about the book of Daniel, we always think about being in high places of influence, taking over the mountains of society, that we will begin to win the hearts of the king and transform a nation. But do you know Daniel did not change Babylon? <laughs> Babylon did not become a Christian nation. <laughs> but God will use Daniel to preserve an entire generation. 
to rebuild the temple. And God was actually giving us an insight. says, okay, let's go after the book of Daniel. We did not, we, so we decided to, maybe we should do Daniel chapter 1 to 6 because the life of Daniel is easier to chew. The life, Daniel is the land, then four men in the fire. It's kind of easier. But we felt like, let's go hard, man. Let's go from Daniel chapter 7 to 12, which is the beasts and the leopards and the bears and the, like, you have no clue what they were. <laughs> it was like, and it's all scary and daunting. It's like the beast is going to eat you up. It's going to prevail against the saints. You know, all the saints are going to die. I said, dude, this is intense. But nevertheless, we go after it. We spend 21 days every day in this place, at this very site, to open up the scriptures and we read through the book of Daniel from Daniel chapter 7 and that to all the way to Daniel chapter 12. And we were overwhelmed by the level of information that was in the book of Daniel. There was so much, the 70% of the book of Daniel has been fulfilled. Do you know that? And it was being recorded in human history. The three empires that he was talking about was a real-life event in human history. There was a fourth one that is coming and we were actually reading the book of Daniel we were overwhelmed by the, the level of details and the horror of what is going to come. It stirred up a certain sense of fear and urgency, but at the same time, we were like, oh, we are shaken by it. We are not ready. But we found ourselves going back to Daniel chapter 7 again and again. And Daniel chapter 7, it's about a man whom God has given dominion. And this man is called a son of man. It's a vision of Daniel. Go and read. It's fascinating. And we found ourselves in the midst of all the horrible things that's happening. We, gave, we come back to this place in Daniel 7, looking at the Son of Man who is beside the Ancient of Days, and He has been given all dominion and everlasting kingdom. And at the end of 21 days, we felt a, a growing sense of confidence. You know what? Though darkness may come, but we know the end of the story. The end of the story is this. All these even empires and kingdom is going to come to an end. But there's one kingdom that will go on forever. Isaiah chapter 9, we all, unto, for unto us, a child was born. And upon his shoulder is an everlasting kingdom. Do you know this is not just, a, it's not yet fulfilled yet. It is going to be a reality for us. There's going to come a day where we live under an everlasting kingdom. That we live in a real government under the leadership of Jesus. And so we were giving ourselves in this whole 21 days of fasting. And we felt a sense of stirring of urgency. And we said, you know what guys? We feel like we need to prepare ourselves. And we know that we've been doing prayer and worship for the past seven years, eight hours at least a week for the past seven years. And we felt like, God, I think you are inviting us to something. We got caught up. And that's where we begin to take the leap of faith and say, let's believe God for a place that's permanent, that's a place dedicated to worship and prayer, to do this Luke 18 thing. To pray always and not lose heart. Because we know that this is the instruction of Jesus and His prescription. It's to prepare us. You see, the goal of day and night prayer is not so that we can do 24 hours and we clock it and say, yay. That's not the goal. You know, 24 hours is just merely the, the limitation that we have. It, God deserves more than 24 hours. If there's a 29, 8, 30, 10, He deserves eternity. But the purpose why God is calling us to this place of praying always, it's not so that we can fulfill day and night prayer and just do like, hey, we did it, man. But it's for the purpose of having the knowledge of God to know who He is and what He's like. In the midst of all the crises, imagine our lands of God is an unrighteous judge. We will be angry and offended with what, what is going to happen. Because this is the lands that we have of God. 
God, you are unrighteous. Why is this happening? Why is this happening? Why is the world crushing down? Why is this thing happening? But God has given us the word. And if we do not have a lens of God as a jealous bridegroom and a righteous judge, we will be offended with what He says that He will do. And the purpose of the prayer room is so that we can grow in a place of our knowledge of God that we give ourselves to do what David did, to behold the beauty and to inquire in the temple. That with unveiled faces, that we will, be, we, will, we will be transformed from one degree of glory to another, that we will gain the knowledge of God, that we will know Him intimately, that even when things don't make sense, we can trust in His nature and His leadership. When answers don't get, when we don't get the answers that we want, we can trust in His nature and His leadership. The reason why we get offended is because we do not have the right knowledge of God. And God is saying, this is what He says in Luke chapter 18. He said, Jesus Himself, I have to mention this again. Hear what the unrighteous judge say, will, and will not God Himself give justice. If an unrighteous judge would give justice to this widow, what more? Your God. He's going after the knowledge of God. He says, I want you to know who I am. That's why I pray always and not lose heart. And not only that, but he's saying, I want you to understand what I'm going to do. It's not going to be based on your time frame. It's not going to be based on your understanding, but it's going to be a time where I've appointed. And then he said, Will not God give justice to the elect who crowd to Him day and night? Will He delay long over them? Let me tell you this. He will give justice to them speedily. Yeah, I want you to understand this. The justice that we have in our minds sometimes revolve around men too much. Only God can give true justice. A justice without the gospel, a justice without Jesus in the picture is not true justice. If, that, if, if, if our world is all about and reaching the life of people without giving them the eternal life and value to embrace the king himself, we are shortchanging them. We, in fact, we are robbing them of the gift. This is what happened to a first world nation like us in Singapore. We have been so blessed and it becomes a curse for us. It becomes a distraction for us. There's too much to lose to give our lives over to Jesus. When your life is so enriched, yes, you have much to lose. And my prayer is that we will look beyond what we can offer them in a temporal. Yes, needs must be met. But beyond that, we have to give them something that's far valuable, that's imperishable. We need to let them know that there is a king who is jealous for them and he will be the one who will give them justice. I'm going to close. As we talk about these things, I just want you to know that God is not detached from the affairs of the world or closes His eyes to every injustice that He can name on the earth. God is very aware to every single deed, intent, injustice, persecution, and the rage that's coming from the nation towards His leadership. Psalms 2 is God's response to the chaos on the earth. He has time, read Psalms 2. He has settled in his heart that the chaos will come to an end when his son would take his place on the throne in Zion. And the fact that God is delaying the return of his son is so that it is an extension of his mercy towards humanity. 
And he's warning the nations. He's warning all of us. He's warning the kings of the earth to kiss the sun, lest he be angry. Lest they face the ultimate judgment on the day of the Lord. It will be great for those who embrace him, terrible for those who are against him. You know, church, I have been battling a lot with the tension in my heart of the understanding and the expression of Christianity that we live in today. I've been wrestling and contending as is God, there must be more than this. And I'm glad that our life is not about an endless Sunday service till we die. I'm glad that this is not our destiny as a church to attend church every Sunday until we die. There's an end point to it. There's an end to our faith. There's an end to our hope. Because when the man, but, there is a, but it's permanent to have love. Because when he comes, love remains. Faith and hope cease to exist because we get to see him face to face. But there is an invitation from God for us to be active in participation of hastening that day by being, being participants of the Great Commission at the same time to cultivate our life in a place of love and intimacy to grow in the knowledge of God. Friends, it's more than just attending church on Sunday. You know what? I'm, I'm coming to the close. You know, when I look at my son, I look at my life, I review my life for the past seven years. I mean, because this is like one of those good times to look back, right? Transition, and then like at year end, and then it's the year last day of, last week of the decade, you know, we're going into a new decade. And then it's, it's almost like reviewing a part of my life, seven, eight years of my life, giving myself to do this, where people don't even really understand, or they will look at me with this weird face, like a Noah thing. Like, what are you doing, man? What are you doing with your life? Why are you building this prayer room thing? Why are you doing this house of prayer where, where, you know, where there's not hardly even a person in the room sometimes. Why are you singing to the, you know, you can do that prayer thing alone, what? And when I begin to look at my son, I just reviewing my seven years, I say, God, I realize the best thing that I can leave behind for my kids and the generations to come is not a comfortable life. It's not the wealth that I can give to them. Neither is a ministry platform that I built for them to take over. <laughs> the best gift that I realize I can give to them is the knowledge of God that is authenticated by a live display of extravagance. I want Him to see my life that will display the worth of Jesus, that will display the knowledge of God through my daily living of coming in, praying, worshipping, and responding to His Word, going out, proclaiming, witnessing, and tell of what I have seen. I want, I want to bridge, I want to close the gap of the Bible that we read with the world that we live. I realize that this is not it. I realize that there's a narrative in the Bible that God is inviting us into. You know what? I've stopped praying, God, what is your will in my life? I've stopped praying that. 
You know why? Because that will not last and it will not sustain because it's individualistic. And that's why whenever we read the Bible, it's all about me, 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 me. Why is your will for me? Why is your work for me? Why is the assignment for me? Why is the calling in my life? Am I called to be a celibate? Am I called to be a pastor? Am I called to be this and that? And all it's all about what is my work and my assignment. I cease to pray that. When I spent the last eight years in the, with the Bible and coming before the Lord to pray the Scriptures, I found myself changing that question of God, what's your will in my life to God in light of the Scriptures? In light of what you say you will do? In light of all that you promise? What are you doing in my generation that I can be a part of it? I want to be a part of what you want to do more than God, what's your will in my life? What is God doing in our lifetime? You know, as we cross over to the next decade, I am fearful. We are one year closer to the day of the Lord. You know what? We are only going this one direction, yeah? I know it's from glory to glory. It's glory to glory towards the day of the Lord. It's only going to get closer. And I look at my kid... I don't dream to give him a big house. I don't dream to give him wealth or comfort. I want to give him the knowledge of God. I want him to know God so that when the Son of Man, I want, so I want him to know God so that when the Son of Man comes, they will stay faithful. That when he comes back, that they will have faith. This is the question that Jesus asked. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? It's in response. To that, pray always. Do not lose heart. Do you have faith in the words of Jesus? Do you take heed to the instructions? I make a res- we have made a resolution in our hearts as a family that we don't want to pursue fame, ministry brand we just want to remain faithful in the things that God has spoken and to live it out intentionally and truthfully you know why I do night and day prayer it's not because I'm a prayer guy neither am I a spiritual junkies who want to do a prayer ministry it's simply a response to his word and his worth to be honest most of the time it's boring it's not enjoyable. Literally. I'm honest with you. There are times where I feel nothing. But the reason why I show up is because I simply want to respond to the words of Jesus and His instruction. I'm not saying, I'm not calling all of us here to join the house of prayer, to come to Burning Hearts. That's not my point. My point is there's something bigger that's going on and Jesus wants us to have and eyes for it and respond to his instructions. Don't live unaware. Don't be like the days of Noah. Don't live like those guys in the days of Noah, those guys in the days of Lord, where you just cruise through life with complacency of eating, drinking, be merry and have fun, thinking that this is not going to happen. Live life intentionally with the end in mind. Be a part of what God wants to do in your lifetime, in your generation. I got caught up with Malachi 1.11. It was a response to His Word. I got caught up. What if in this room, when you open up the Scriptures one day, 
and then one of these scriptures begin to catch you up into something that's beyond yourself, that's bigger than your life. What if? If you don't even come before the Lord in a place of prayer, it will not happen. And that is why God intentionally said to the generation that will see the return of the Lord, pray always and not lose heart because He will catch you up in His story and you will be living in the most exciting life that you can ever dream of. This is a privilege, guys. It's an invitation from God to be a part of the story that has written from Genesis to Revelation. I'm going to end with this. It started as a wedding in a garden of Eden and it's going to end as a wedding in the garden city of New Jerusalem. This is the story. It started in Eden where God walks with men and it's going to end in the New Jerusalem where God will be with men forever. And we long for that day. This is our blessed hope. But until that day, pray always. Do not lose heart. Pray always. Do not lose heart. When injustice hit you hard, pray always. Do not lose heart. When persecution come your way, pray always. Do not lose heart. When justice seems to be on delay, pray always. And don't lose heart. Church, you are called to be a house of prayer. Don't stop praying. Don't stop ministering to His heart. Don't stop impacting the heart of God and in exchange to impacting the world. You know what? You can't compare it. First and foremost, impact the heart of God, then impact the world. Let's all stand. Again, there's nothing fanciful about the message. I struggle and I'm putting my struggle before you. It was a real challenge for me today because there are lots of intimidation and fear in my heart to speak something like that that is not normal. But I know and I know that my, I have to be a faithful witness and a faithful steward of the Word of God. I cannot say no to it. But I just want to be a steward of the Word of God. And today, I just want to just ask the Lord to impart to us a fresh grace. A renewed sense of grace to be that people that will pray always and not lose heart in your families, in your homes, in your offices, in your life groups, in the church, in the nation, that you will pray, you'll pray always and not lose heart. Don't make prayer a ministry. Make it the primary event of the church life because church is not about service. He calls His house a house of prayer. Our life revolves around Him ministering to His heart, hearing His voice and responding to His word. This is what we are called to do. Even as Gideon begins to sing, I just want you to stand before the Lord even as we cross into the next decade. What is the vision of, the, of your life for your kids and your son what do you want to leave behind for them and I believe that even as we set a context of praying always and not lose heart it's going to produce faith in the next generation so Gideon just begin to lead us in a time of worship